Lord, speak through me today, I pray. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word. And let it be that word that is good news, that is announced to your people here at Stony Cross Salvation Army this morning. Amen. Okay, so I was away last Sunday. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> Did you notice? Some people looking around, was he? Was he away? I, I couldn't remember that. <laughs> I was uh, away, I was trekking in the Welsh hills with Tony there and Dan Pryor as well. We were on a, uh, on a trek um, and it was a most profound, one of the most profound experiences in my life. Apart from your wedding. Apart from my wedding and my children being born, perhaps. <laughs> but it, different. It was different. I'm not allowed to give too much away because apparently they say, in case people do it in the future, they don't want you to give too much away. But it really was quite remarkable. You kind of walk up and down these hills and they kind of break you, more or less. Uh, and, and then they, you go around and you hear these testimonies of people who've done it before you, who've gone before you. And honestly, it was, I mean, we've just heard from Paul, haven't we? These incredible testimonies of lives turned around. I just wanted to share one of my own. There was a guy who stood up uh, and he said, as we were kind of pouring rain, you know, exhausted, tired. And he said, I was born into a dysfunctional family. My parents couldn't look after me. I was taken into care. I think he had about 12 different foster families that had taken him. He was groomed into gangs. He was abused at the school he went to. The head teacher ended up going to, to prison and the priest committed suicide. This is real stuff. He had addiction. He came into the military, not into the Salvation Army, but into the military because they were the only people who had him. And he was there for a few years and he did okay, but he ended up being discharged because his mental health problems were not uh, allowing him to do the work. He wasn't safe to hold a gun. And then one day, a couple saw him on the streets. He'd come to a church meal or something and they took him into his house, their house. And in his words, they said, they loved me back to life. They loved me back to life. And his life began to change direction from the way of death to the way of life. He's now a vicar in a church. I won't say where because it might give it away, but it was incredible. And we heard so many of these incredible stories. It was literally a kind of mountaintop experience and it's not something that you experience perhaps every week but I'm so pleased that Paul shared those stories and uh, we, you know I wanted to share this story today because this book of first Peter if it is about anything then it is about new life and hope that's what it is about brothers and sisters and it is also about what does it mean we've been given this new life Raised with Jesus Christ, what are the consequences of that in a world that still feels very dark around us? And it's the same world Peter was writing to 2,000 years ago. Today, it still feels dark, doesn't it? What does it mean for us today to live in that hope when the world still feels dark? A little bit of context, because it's important. We've just done the quiz. 
Just a quick reminder, it's written by the Apostle Peter, not Paul, Lady said Paul, the Apostle Peter who was commissioned by Jesus. This is the rock on whom I will build my church. And he's now leading churches beyond Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. And we're in Asia Minor, which is this part of modern day Turkey. It was written by Peter, but it says in chapter 5, through Silvanus, whom I consider a faithful brother. And he's writing from your sister church in Babylon. And Peter wouldn't have been in Babylon, because we, we know that's true. So he's saying that Rome is the new Babylon, just like the, uh, the people of God were taken into exile into Babylon. And Babylon was this dreadful empire that crushed God's people and took them away. Now Rome is that new Babylon. That's where he's writing from. And his main point, as I said, is that how do we proclaim God's goodness in a chaotic world? I don't know if you've been watching the news at all this week. <laughs> we live in a chaotic world, don't we? <laughs> Who knows? We might have... Another prime minister by the end of my talk. Who on earth knows what's going on with that? But it's been a chaotic week, hasn't it? But we are still challenged as God's people, as we gather together to declare God's goodness. And I think there are three things that I want to really draw out of this passage that Bernie's read. And I'm really looking forward to this series over the next few weeks, hearing what God is going to say to us. The first thing that Paul talks about is new birth. New birth. And he talks about it through this, this, yeah, this metaphor of birth. Verse 3, what does he say? By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. Later on in the passage, verse 23, you have been born again, born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Now, of course, this is not a new phrase, is it? Everyone's heard of being born again, haven't they? Jesus uses it a lot. It's a lot there in the New Testament. But how do we understand it? How do we understand it? Because if we're not careful, this word being born again, it can kind of roll off our tongues and it can be a bit limp, perhaps. You know, oh, I've been born again. You know, well, what does that mean? Does it mean that we've, oh, we've just started thinking about things a bit differently? You know, you know, perhaps I used to go to the pub and I used to have four pints and now I have three. <laughs> you know, I've completely changed. Everything's changed. I now have three pints. You know, I don't want to offend anyone, but I've got some of this personal hope in my heart that helps me to read the Bible in the morning and to pray. But it doesn't really change that much about me. I'm still the same guy, really. Brothers and sisters, that is not being born again, according to Scripture. To be born again, Jesus says, you literally have to die to your old self. You have to go through this process of death and then to be raised to life. It's the process of baptism. Die into the waters and be raised up again. And you might think, well, that's very well for people who have these dramatic conversion stories, like the guy I was talking about, like the guy that the guys that Paul has been talking about. But you say, well, I'm, you know, I've lived a nice life. I'm quite middle class in some ways. You know, I'm, I'm a good person. You know, isn't, isn't, aren't the values of our society just Christian values? Well, no. <laughs> I once heard it said, someone said, um, they said, you know, for some people, they say, well, my life was a mess before I met Jesus. 
And then he came and he, he sorted it out. Well, good for you, but it's the opposite for me. I had everything sorted before I met Jesus. And then he came and he changed everything. And now I get into a lot more trouble. I get into a lot more kind of difficulty in life because Jesus comes and he shakes it up. It's that phrase, that, not it, that the gospel comforts the disturbed and disturbs the comfortable. You know, often following Jesus, it can be difficult. It, it makes terrible financial sense. In some, some ways, you end up giving your money, your time. I love this quote from, from Pete Gregg. Uh, Peter spoke really wonderfully a few weeks ago on, on hospitality. And if you haven't heard it, go back and hear it. And when he was speaking, it kind of reminded me of this quote. And it just illustrates a bit of what I'm talking about. Pete Gregg says this. People tell me they have the gift of hospitality, by which I think they, I mean they like having dinner parties. <laughs> they have or aspire to a beautiful home with an underused spare room, which they enjoy entertaining exotic interesting appreciative guests who just confirm how lovely their home is this is not the gift of hospitality this is a gift of a box of chocolates biblical hospitality starts in the heart and not the ikea catalogue it is really a bad lifestyle choice true hospitality allows for interruption goes the second mile and above all it is present to people this is where i fell the most says pete Listening is the highest form of hospitality, says Henri Nouwen. Not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. Hospitality like this rarely comes with a box of chocolates. It can hurt our schedules, our emotions, our bank accounts, and yes, it can even mess up our homes. That doesn't sound very sensible, does it? (laughs) But this is the Jesus who comes and, and shakes us up. This is being born again, dying to yourself. As we were walking in the mountains, Tony, weren't we? We were kind of broken. We kind of went through this process of dying almost, you know, literally, physically, almost, you know, not being able to keep going and then being raised to life again throughout this process. And we can do this because, what does Peter say? We have living hope, a living hope. And this hope is not just a hope. What do you, what do, you do when you hope sometimes? You say hope. I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow. You know, probably will if we're in Liverpool in autumn. <laughs> but it's much more than that. Verse 4, in, we hope, we have a living hope which gives us an inheritance that is not imperishable, undefiled <coughs> and unfading. It means we can act in this world secure in the knowledge of the outcome. We know where history is headed, don't we? We know what's going to happen at the end of the world. Jesus is going to come again. Because we believe in a living hope, not a dead hope. A dead hope is an atheist's hope. A dead hope is a hope that looks at what's happened in this country this week in Parliament and says, well, I I hope things are going to get better. There's no guarantee that they will. There's no guarantee that it's going to happen. And even if they do, one day the world is going to just, you know, evaporate when the sun kind of crushes us or something. What meaning is there in that we believe in a living hope because jesus raised was raised from the dead we know that history is going in the right direction so as christians even if the world is falling around around us and i know many of you come from from countries and, and places where things are much more chaotic than they are in the uk goodness me 
So that is what being born again means, to live with living hope in the world. So that's the first point. The second one is this word in verse 13. Peter goes through, he says, you you know, you've got this living hope. And then he says this word, therefore. So right, you've been born again. Therefore, what does that mean? What does it mean that we're born again? Does it mean we just get into heaven when we die? We can just sit there nicely and wait till the end of the world? No. What does he say? Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Later on, verse 15, be holy in all your conduct. Hands up if you're holy in all of your conduct. (laughs) No one, no one. Oh, well, that's a surprise. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) We have this theme in 1 Peter that we're born again. But then throughout the letter, it doesn't say that you just stay as a baby. What do babies do? They grow. They grow, don't they? They grow. And Peter is helping these Christians in modern day Turkey, whatever it is, Asia Minor, to think, right, what are the ethical consequences, the moral consequences of this? And just as a child, uh, as a baby grows, he talks about children. Verse 14, like obedient children. You were a baby now you come into obedient children. Do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had. In chapter 2, I'm going on beyond the first chapter. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow in salvation. Growing in salvation. We're meant to grow in holiness, brothers and sisters. Do we know that? I saw this this week. I don't know if this speaks to you. This is a little bird who's kind of fallen out of the nest and the bird is used to being fed by its mother. And look what it does. Can you see it's waiting for the, the, the grub to just fall into its mouth? <laughs> oh, give, it, give it a bit of an ah. Oh. Are we sometimes like that little bird? That we're immature in our spiritual growth that we kind of expect others to feed us come to church on sunday oh you know sam's preaching today great you know someone else is preaching i'm just going to let them do that no we have responsibility for our own growth in holiness and that word holiness be holy as i am holy what do we understand by that well we should all know we're the salvation army aren't we we are from the holiness tradition from the Methodist holiness tradition. That's where we came from. That's our history. But do you know we rarely talk about it these days, do we? We often think holiness is an individual thing. And there's truth in this. You know, what is holiness? Well, it means I read my Bible. I don't swear. Often we define holiness by what we don't do. There's some truth in in that. You know, there's that song, isn't there? Send revival, start with me. There is a sense that we are only responsible for our own lives. We, I can't force you to, to, to be ho- more holy in some sense. We are responsible for our own lives. We talked about confession a few weeks ago. Do you remember that when I spoke about confession? I said we need to be more serious about sin in our lives. If, are we, is there sin in our life? Let's get rid of it. Absolutely. I saw a quote this week that said this. What God wants to do in you is much more important than what God wants to do through you. That's interesting, isn't it? I fall foul of that the whole time. 
what I can do, the most important thing that I'm going to do, this and that, you know, I'm going to serve this person, I'm going to serve that person. But actually, you know, Jesus speaks time and time again that a good tree brings good fruit. If you just focus on the external stuff, just your external stuff, and I've been there, believe me, busy every night of the week, serving this person, serving that person, not attending to my own relationship with God. It's really, really not good. And so that, that sense that it is an individual thing that we're going to, but it's not just an individual thing. Can we sit there serenely being holy like this? No. I'm going to suggest that's a bit more like the Buddhist understanding, like Buddha. You know, you kind of sit there and kind of, you know, have a bubble around yourself and you just sit there nicely. No, that's not the Christian understanding. You can't be holy just by yourself. It starts, yes, individually in your heart with your relationship with God, but it's also corporate as well. It's this weird paradox, I suppose. Verse 15 said, be holy, and the be there is plural. It's not just individually, it's, it's together. We are called to a corporate life of holiness. And the reason for this is that it's impossible to love just sitting in a bubble, isn't it? When you're just sitting there by yourself, you can be just me, it's just me and God, just me and God. No, love God, love others. That's the Salvation Army's new strap line. I don't know if you've seen it, but that is the, the new strap line. And that's also because who makes us holy? Is it us? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us holy. It's not us, is it? And what does holiness look like? Well, we've got a list, haven't we? Paul wrote in the book of Galatians. He said this. Holiness looks like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the test. If you want to know what holiness is, get that list and compare against that. And if a person is exhibiting those qualities, then they are a holy person. But aren't holy people always scary and self-righteous? Do you know what? Sometimes, if we're not careful, that can be the case. Striving for holiness. If we get it one degree off, it becomes like the Pharisees, doesn't it? I don't know if anyone's ever experienced that in their own life. I'm going to be really holy this week. Oh, And then it just becomes like the Pharisees. I love this quote from Rowan Williams about holiness. Just listen to this. When I think of the people in my own life that I call holy, who have made a real impact... It's that it's this that comes across most deeply in the ball. These people have made me feel better rather than worse about myself. Or rather, not quite that. These are people that never uh, make me feel complacent about myself. Far from it. They make me feel that there is hope for my confused and compromised humanity. God is big enough to deal with and work with actual compromised and imperfect people. Look, here is a life in which he has come alive. Real holiness somehow brings into my life that sense of opening up opportunity, changing things. It's not about my being made to feel inadequate or looked down upon. On the contrary, somehow I feel a little bit more myself. (laughs) Not in a way that suggests I don't need to change. 
to repent and believe, of course we need to do that, but simply through recognising God's active being in the world. Have you met someone like that? Someone who doesn't make you feel bad because they're so holy, but you meet them and you are just challenged by their gentle love and their holiness, and they encourage you to be more holy yourself. Let's be that community together, brothers and sisters, together as a church. Finally, time is marching on. We are exiles in this world. That's what Peter says in this. What does he say? Verse 1, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, all these other places. Later on, verse 17, if you invoke the Father, the one who judges impartially to each person's work and live in fear during the time of your exile. Again, in chapter 2, moving on, beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles, there's this theme throughout 1 Peter that the people he's writing to don't quite belong in the world. Have you ever been to a foreign country? Have you been to a country that's not your own? I know for many people here, you are in a country that's not your own. And it's an odd thing, isn't it? When I was 18, I mentioned the other week, I went to, to Ghana in Africa. And it was a wonderful time, but it, it, it was the first time I'd really been abroad, you know, to different countries. And there was a lot of things I missed. And the thing I missed most was Weetabix. <laughs> I flipping loved Weetabix. I had it every morning. And I woke up and... I couldn't have Weetabix, and it felt so weird not being able to have that normal breakfast. I don't know what it was for you. Maybe you're sitting here, and yeah, you're in, you're in a foreign country, and it feels still quite odd after many, many years. Brothers and sisters, as followers of Jesus, wherever we are in the world, should never quite feel, we should never be so at home in the world, that it feels like, you know, that we're, we're completely part of the furniture. As Christians, we're always meant to be a little bit odd in this world. That doesn't mean that we try to escape the world. There's some Christian understandings which say, well, one day Jesus is going to come. He's going to whip us all off this world and go to heaven. No, we believe that the kingdom of God is to come on earth as it is in heaven. That's Jesus' words. But it means that this world is going to be renewed. And we shouldn't be comfortable in the sense of this world just as it is. And that means that we don't take fully the identity markers that this world gives to us. Peter is writing to these people in Asia Minor. Yes, they live there, but they are exiles. In chapter 2 it says they are a nation of themselves. Brothers, how many nations do we have represented here? Six, seven perhaps? from around the world. It's amazing. There's some who aren't here who are away. But we are a nation. We are a new nation. You might be Indian or Iranian or British or Zimbabwean or Bangladeshi. We are a new nation. That doesn't mean that those nationalities don't mean anything to you. Of course they do. They, they determine your language. Maybe the type of food that you like. But that's what church means. We are a nation. And Peter is writing to these people whose king is not Caesar. This was in the Roman Empire, but the king is who? Jesus. Jesus is our king. There should be something different about us Christians. That doesn't mean we withdraw from the world and we just spend all our time in church. We don't interact with those around us. Of course not, but it means that those identities shouldn't be the most important thing. I'm British. I support Bristol City Football Club and I'm a man. (laughs) 
Those things are important to me. Of course they are. But compared to my identity in Christ, whoosh, underneath, those things are not so important anymore. Or at least those things don't determine the major decisions in my life. Okay? And inevitably, if we say that to the people around us, well, they say, yeah, well, I'm British, but actually my Britishness isn't the most important thing in my life. Or, you know, this thing is not the most important thing. Then we're going to look a little bit weird in the world. We're going to look a little bit odd. We're going to seem like exiles. You know, not weird as in, look, that guy looks a bit weird. He's probably going to rob me type thing. (laughs) But there's something different about this guy. Why does he love when it hurts? Why does he continue to do these things? Why does he not conform to the patterns of this world, as Paul puts it in the book of Romans? In your workplace, don't participate in gossip. If you go to a football match, you don't sing songs that abuse the other, the other players or the other teams. There's something different about you. Your finances, I mentioned earlier. We talked about finances recently, didn't we? Giving of your finances. There's this great letter in the early church that uh, someone kept from about the year 300 or something, where there's this guy uh, who's writing to a friend of his. He's this older guy. He says, I'm in real distress because my son has joined this cult and I had this life planned out for him. He was going to become a lawyer and then he was going to become a... Uh, a major in the army and I had it all planned out for him but now this cult is getting him to give away all his money he's inviting odd people to his house and it's bringing disgrace on our family what's what's going on the man himself was a Roman centurion I think and his son had found Jesus Christ that's the kind of thing that's that's the kind of oddness that Paul Peter is talking about that we are exiles in this world. Brothers and sisters, when you go home from today, when you're in your streets, you are an exile to some degree. In Liverpool in the 21st century, and we have our king as Jesus Christ. Before we have King Charles, or whoever it is that is in your land. So, in summary, we are born again. This affects everything not just a little kind of shaking of what we are it flips everything upside down if we are born again that has effects in our life and the rest of the letter we go on to to peter talks about what that means we grow in holiness and thirdly this will mean that we look odd this is all because of the living hope that we have in jesus hands up if you think jesus rose from the dead Hands up. Not just in your hearts, as some people say, or he physically rose from the dead. This is new life that he offers us. Not a dead atheist hope that we hope it's not going to rain, but it's a hope that affects everything. We're going to sing about that now, Liz and John. In response, we're going to sing this beautiful song, The Living Hope. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. In response, if you want to come to the mercy seat, someone will pray for you. Maybe there's something in your life you need prayer for right at this moment. Come to the mercy seat this morning. Or just stay sitting where you are and sing. Let's sing together.